What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe, and we'd just like to thank all of you wonderful listeners that have joined us here today. And this show today is sponsored by our very own Bestseller Academy. And uh, as you know, that heard up front, if you are interested in joining the Bestseller Academy, we have opened enrolment for January the 1st. So pop over to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and enroll now. We are already 50% full. So get over there right now if you would like to experience what our academates, that's what they're called, the people that joined us in September, we went back to them and asked them, Mark, what they thought of it. It was one of those big moments. We're like, ooh, they're going to give us some feedback. (laughs) They gave us an average score of, you ready for this? 93%. 93%. Ah, not bad. Um, not bad at all. Absolutely brilliant. So yeah, we're really super chuffed with that. So um, if you're interested in joining them on the 1st of January and make 2021 the year that you will start right and finish your best book ever, not just a book, but your best book ever, then pop over to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. Mr. Stay, how do you squeeze it all in, so to speak? You've got so many things on the go right now. I can't even... We actually need to do this podcast just so we get an opportunity to catch up now. To talk. Yeah, right? it's the only time. It's the one hour of the week <laughs> I've got spare. Yeah, it really is. Oh. What have you been up to? Minor thing. My publisher got bought by another publisher. So uh, oh. that made the news. So, uh, so Simon and Schuster. You got a three book deal with Simon, Simon and Schuster, Schuster with your first book coming out in February next year. Is that right? 2021? That is. That's correct. So yes. what happened? Who, who bought Simon and Schuster? Well, I know they've been up for sale for quite some time before lockdown you know so uh, they were owned by viacom cbs and they put them up for sale i i offered you know 20 30 quid you know but they they rebuffed me well in the end they went with uh, uh penguin random house who bought them for 2.2 billion so it was slightly slightly over my my budget Whoa. um do you know what though so, i yeah. heard the rumors were that they were only going to buy them for 1 billion and then they heard that they'd done a three book deal with mark stay Exactly. <laughs> Literally, the price doubled overnight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was it. I, you know, thanks everyone. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> Christmas bonuses all round. Wow, two point two billion. Just trying to get my head around that. Is that pounds or dollars? Uh, I'm looking at the bookseller. It's dollars. Two point two billion. Two point two billion dollars. Yeah. Yes. Gosh, so pretty pretty. That's what Elon Musk earns in a, an average tea break, isn't it? From what I've heard lately. Yeah, it's what he's got in his cod piece. So this is. Um, <laughs> This is this is quite momentous though because it means the big five become the big four, right? And of course that is slightly troubling for some people because you know it's it, 
it means less choice. You know, it, these companies become even bigger. Does it does it mean you'll get fewer risks taken because bigger companies tend to be a bit more risk averse, that sort of thing? Um, but on the other hand, you know, these publishers need to be bigger when they square off in negotiations with the likes of Amazon. Yes. So, but I, I, I from what I know, you know, Penguin Random House tend to be quite hands off in their acquisitions. They do tend to, what what this is about really is consolidating things like salaries and pensions and all the finance yeah, stuff. So you've, things, you've got it? exactly it's it's more that back end stuff. Um I, my big disappointment is it doesn't mean that the uh the company is now called Random Simon Penguin. Um <laughs> but you know uh it's just a just a shame they never thought to do that but uh yeah so i you know we, i got a letter from the ceo of uh simon and schuster saying you know it is business as usual just you know don't worry too much about this kind of thing and uh i spoke to my editor and and my agent you know it's all this has been on the cards for a very very long time so uh on a on a personal level i'm not worried about it i you know it's uh it's just it's just the way the industry is going i think well but i mean from a from a personal level i mean what's kind of interesting is now that simon and schuster are part of penguin random house i'd be very excited about that as an author signed to simon and schuster because it it does open even bigger opportunities down the road in terms of you know it's part of the family now and it's they're not competing against each other and who knows where that might lead to it's fantastic well they they are i mean they are and they are i mean Certainly when I was at Hachette, now Hachette, you know, had all these different publishers on different floors. So you had Orion on one floor, Hodder on another floor, uh, Little Brown on another floor. And and we would compete against each other in um, auctions for books. Right. You wow. know, there was, they, they, they were very uh, determined to make sure that separation stayed, that each publisher had its own identity. That's fascinating. And that's what I think is going to happen here as well. You know, Simon & Schuster has its own identity, just as Penguin does, just as Random House, just as Transworld does. Uh, so they all retain that identity. So I think that's, um, you know, this is capitalism but it's it's publishing capitalism which is real capitalism you know it's, <laughs> that's, that's very, that's that, very monty python of you just then <laughs> yes yes well, it. It, made, it, it did make me laugh because someone at uh penguin random house went uh, they were quoted on the bookseller today basically saying we're not as big as you think we are you know <laughs> which mm. made me laugh because because actually in the bigger scheme of things when compared to other media companies like disney they're not that big for sure you know they're they're not as big but in the world of publishing they are colossal they Absolutely. are you know the market leaders now yeah so um so yeah it's That's uh fascinating it's, it's, time. Interesting. it's interesting as well because it does feel like the consolidation i always say this um like an old record but the consolidation is following exactly what happened in the music industry you know with the major labels becoming five into four when emi were bought so you know there's there's again if you just want to know what's going on folks just look at the music industry and you'll be able to predict where we'll be in a couple of years from now as well but um i think it's i think it's fascinating but it's also i think partly going to be linked to obviously the absolute incredible indie revolution that's happening as well because you've got to be even more competitive now in traditional publishing because of what some incredible authors are doing out out there on their own um, with the hybrid companies and there's a million and one of those now between an indie author and a traditional company as well so yeah i love it it's fascinating stuff and uh you also talking of books you you've also had a development with your own book crow folk yes yes well just just yesterday, uh, not 24 hours ago, we, we signed off on the finished artwork. So you get sent 
a PDF of the artwork from from my editor with you know we've we've discussed changes and what have so it's got a quote on the cover uh it's got a shout line uh so it's all very exciting it's got a barcode go on. Go on. Get, test so the, the shout the, line the sh- on me okay shout line is uh june 1940 rationing blackouts witchcraft Whoa. Oh, I like it. That's and then we, we got a we got a quote from Rowan Coleman on the cover, a previous guest on the podcast, who says "full of magic and delight." So you've got that thing of blackouts, witchcraft. You got darkness there, and then you have got magic and delight. So it gives a really nice balance. So, uh, so I'm really really happy. We've got quotes on the back as well. Uh, and uh, what's really exciting, the PDF they sent me on the right, you've got uh, the printing specifications, and it tells you what finish it's got so i've got i've got super soft matte lamb so that's matte lamination oh i've got spot uv oh Ooh. spot uv and i know about that because oh, that's what we did I, with jen's book yeah really cool yeah. And, and i've got embossing embossing, embossing. So that, that is mate you've made yeah. it you have made yeah. it mr stay has been embossed <laughs> Right. Finally, I'm just, I'm just reaching embossing. over. I'm just reaching over and touching. <laughs> Hang on a minute. I'm gonna I'm gonna do an emboss test. I've got I've got for anyone who's ever seen me live online. If you ever come to a webinar, um, actually we're doing a webinar. If you want to join us, um, Wednesday the second of December, I believe. But whenever I do webinars, you can always see the Back to Reality book that I've got sitting on my shelf here. And I'm gonna reach over and do an emboss test quickly, Mark. Hang on a sec. No embossing, man. No, it's not. It's no, just flat no, as a pancake. No. Flat as a pancake. You don't get that embossing. Amazon print on demand, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when we got Jen's uh, last monster book that we're doing a big push on actually this Christmas again. It's crazy. People are buying it again. Um, but we did. We went through that whole Spot UV. Like People won't know what we're talking about if they've never gone through their own book publishing, but Spot UV, um, it makes... <laughs> You'll know it when you see it on a book cover. It's beautiful. Um, but something about embossing just makes the whole thing feel so classy, doesn't it? But uh, oh, I'm yeah, excited. I, 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 I'm excited to feel your bookmark when it finally comes oh, out. No, <laughs> <laughs> this is, we better veer away from the Carry On movies who suddenly jumped into. That's super exciting <laughs> stuff. And um, what we're going to do is we've got some good news stories which are going to keep to after our interview this week but before we dive into talking anything about this interview we're going to give you a little teaser you've obviously heard us talking all year about the uh, bxp 2020 or what was now called and rebranded we've called we're calling it the 200 word a day challenge and this is being launched again if you are interested in doing 200 words a day and trying to build this writing habit for life you can now go to um the website and sign up. You can try. Now, we've been thinking about this, Mark, and we were talking before the show that we're coming to the end of November as we record this. And there are going to be a lot of people out there who've been doing NaNoWriMo uh, to varying degrees of success or otherwise. Um, I know you've never done it, have you? No. And there's a lot no. of people that have done it. Um, I tend to, people are going to be coming, they're going to be massively elated for those that have completed it, but very, very tired. And I've always wondered what December looks like in the writer's world when they've done NaNoWriMo. But there's also, right, the other group who uh, have started, flew out the gate on day one and two and then missed day three and then got despondent day four and then gave up writing on day five. So the 200 word a day challenge is really the antidote to, well, for two things, right? Firstly, the, the people that didn't manage to complete NaNo, and there's a lot of people out there that didn't. Start the 200 words a day. It's a great pick-me-up to- tonic and... Um, 
Uh, it's certainly changed a lot of people's lives. We're past, we're well past uh, 11 million words now submitted this year. But um, yeah, what would you say to people that have, have, have been like pl- going, going for a hammer and tong and actually coming out the back of having written a lot of words in November, but are completely worn out? Well, I mean, if you're worn out, I, I, all I can do is refer back to how I felt at the beginning of, of lockdown, where the world was a bewildering place and uh, topsy-turvy, and I kind of stopped writing. And it was the thing that got me back into the habit. And just this just this last sort of week and a half or so, I've been posting up on the uh, the 2020 or 200-word challenge. Uh, again, because I've been um, making notes for a script project that I'm working on, and it's the thing that's got me into that habit again. So it's um Nanorama's all, you know, we love it. We've we've, you know, we've had Grant Faulkner on on the show a couple of times and and we we we've, we've talked about the amazing thing things that it's done, but it's just I don't see how it's sustainable all year round and it doesn't reflect what I do as a writer, as a full-time writer. And uh you know, I I it's to me the 200 words a day thing is much more like the kind of habit that I have. And it, it, it it's that little and often thing, well, we're going to talk about this. We are, moment. absolutely. Just, and yeah. what's really fascinating is what we're realising with the challenge is it helps pick people back up when they're struggling. And this is a thing we all experience is there's no author out there in the world, guaranteed. And if you, if you do exist, please email us and tell us your secret. But there's no author out in the world that manages to maintain and be on top of their writing every single day of their life. Life is all about cycles. We're going through the seasons right now. It's a changing cycle. There are good days, bad days, great weeks, bad weeks, amazing months, horrible months. When, when our writing just is awesome and other times we struggle. Um, and one thing that really struck me actually is, is as our good friend Ian Sainsbury, the, the winner of the Kindle Storyteller Award 2019, I didn't realize this, but Ian, Ian actually said, he sent me this. He said, oh, I'm going to read this out. He said, the 200 word a day challenge is a superb idea and it's helped me climb out of a writing hole. This is the guy that won the Kindle Storyteller Award. It's easy to lose confidence when you're working alone and it can be hard to take a step back. You're not alone. What we're doing is creating something out of nothing, which physicists will tell you is impossible. (laughs) Keep showing up. (laughs) He nearly says, keep showing up and see what happens. So the 200 Word a Day Challenge isn't just about creating a writing habit for life. It's also about, in Ian's case, and as you mentioned, it's about getting you started again. It's that kickstart. Somebody coming along with half a a, um, a container of of petrol or gas to fill you up when you've run out on the the edge of the the motorway highway. So if you're interested in doing that, pop along to um, bestsellerexperiment.com and click on the um, the 200 word a day challenge there, BXP 2020 link and um, and join us because we're challenging people to try it for five days. And here's something to put into perspective that I hadn't thought about, Mark. So we had a big discussion about writing and writing habits and NaNoWriMo on the BXP team this week. And if you add up the 200 words a day and you look at actually what people are writing a day, which averages now about 650 words. So it's not, Mm. even though it's 200 is the headline, people are averaging 650 out of all the thousands that are doing it. So you're kind of guaranteed getting around that just based on the numbers we're seeing. When you add those numbers up over the year, do you know what it equates to? Go on. Five nanorimos. Five times, it's nearly 250,000 words, right? 
So that's quite incredible when you think about, you know, average novel being about, what, 70,000 words. That means you could actually write maybe three to four books if you did it consistently and you were kind of averaging what people were averaging. So, yeah, fascinating stuff, which leads us into one of the things that inspired this challenge, which was our guest this week. Well, no, hang on, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is bizarro world. Now, listeners, this is a first. This is an absolute first. It's not me doing the interview this week. We're going to have to do it. The, we've never done it this way before. So let's do it the other way. So, uh, so uh, Mark, tell me all about our <laughs> wonderful interviewee this week, BJ Fogg. Well, let me tell you, Mark. Let me tell you. This is great. This is, I'm very excited. This is weird. This is so weird. This is it's so, so weird. weird. It feels like I'm wearing the wrong pair of shoes here. Let me tell you about BJ Fogg. BJ Fogg was somebody that I came across a few years ago and I came across him because I was, I've always been fascinated, absolutely fascinated about habit and human habits, why we do things. And I started working on my own habits. I went through a kind of a whole life audit on what I was doing and I had to get super focused and I wanted to do all these crazy ideas and launch a podcast with you and all these different things. And I discovered a really interesting talk by BJ Fogg. And anyway, as I started to delve deeper, I found out that, that BJ was actually the uh, head of Stanford University's Behavioral Design Lab, um, which is formerly known as the Persuasive Tech Lab, which has an incredible alum alumni of students, including the founder of Instagram, just just like a little little name there. I mean, that's one of many. But weirdly enough, I was watching The Social Dilemma on Netflix uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and he comes up in that documentary. So if you've seen The Social Dilemma, massive, massive thing on Netflix, fascinating. Um, BJ's on there, scary as well. And many of his students talk about it. So that's worth checking out. Um, but BJ now is now the number one best-selling author. He's lived his dreams and he's become a number one best-selling author, New York Times bestseller of his new book, Tiny Habits, which has also been voted as one of the best business books of this year. So I got the incredible opportunity to catch up with BJ and have a one-on-one -on -one with him. And we talked about his tiny habits method and how it relates to our 200 word a day challenge. Um, we also learned about why emotions, not repetition, create a habit. Uh, we talk a bit about how habits have to grow roots, just like plants. There's some great analogies there for gardeners. And, and also we're going to hear the story behind how one of his students ran with one of his class projects and sold it to Facebook for $1 billion. So just a few <laughs> things to cover. Yes. So let's dive in uh, to Mr. D's fascinating interview with BJ Fogg. BJ, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. Thank you for inviting me. It's so wonderful to talk with you because I've been actually following your work for quite a few years wow. and um, I'm so excited to see your book coming out and I'm actually even more excited even more excited than the book coming out <laughs> I was so excited to read on your Twitter the other day that it hit the New York Times bestseller list imagine that wow congratulations thank you thank you how does that feel awesome like okay so here I was I was just going to speak in the Harvard bookstore and I'm sitting in a little cafe close by and I got the news and I was just ready to cry. <laughs> I hate to admit that out of the gate, but it's like, I'm in public. I'm not going to break down and cry. I've got to go and read in the Harvard bookstore. It was, it's something. It signifies that the book can reach lots of people. And I think that's for me why it was like so, such a big moment. It's like, oh my gosh, I made the list. Wow. Yeah. That's unbelievable. And it's been such a 
long journey. I mean, not just <laughs> not just from the book's perspective, right? But also, if yeah. you look back at everything that you've done with the uh, you know at Stanford with the Behavior Lab, I mean, how how many years has this been a journey? What does this kind of milestone ring to you? It depends how you count it. I mean, certainly twenty years looking at human behavior from you know as a behavior scientist, the last. Oh, nine or so years, specifically on habits. And in 2011, that's when I started teaching tiny habits to the public for free, which I still do, free five-day program. And then people immediately started saying, where's your book? Where's your book? You know, 2012, 2000, where's your book? And it's like, no, I'm still researching. I'm still discovering, right? And so fast forward, I stopped counting after I'd coached 40,000 people personally through email. So lots and lots. And so delighted to have brought that work and my broader work of behavior design together in this one book, Penny Abbott. So a lot, actually. So it's, it's a big deal um, in my life and my career. It's pretty amazing because in the book, you talk about aspirations. And when I was reading that, I was thinking to myself, this is, this is the aspiration ultimately for so many people to actually be able to take everything they've learned and be able to share it in a really digestible way. So Tell me the story about Costco, the Costco moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fast forward, like how it got into Costco or my experience seeing it at Costco? Well, no, when you were standing in Costco the other day. Okay. So I am so glad you asked this because nobody's asked me this. So the, you know, the pub date, it, you know, it's like New Year's Eve and it's like, fine. But then I hear from my sister that she saw it in Costco about a week early and I'm like, what? So I'm here in Maui at that time you know, where I live part-time. So I go into the Maui Costco thinking, well, it's not going to be here because things take so long to get to the islands and the book's not supposed to be out anyway till New Year's Eve. And I walk in and there's my book, stacks of my book. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And there's one person standing by the, the books and it's a woman and she's flipping through my book of all things. So I walk up to her and, you know, I think I just come in from the ocean. I'm a mess. You know, my hair is there every which way. And I just walk up and I say, oh, I, that's a good book. And she said, well, have you read it? And I was like, well, I wrote it. And she's like, what? And I turned the book over my pictures and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm the author. She's like, you're kidding me. She says, will you sign it? And I was like, yeah. And then another woman hears and comes over. I mean, so first I see my book at Costco, which is in this moment. And then you have this funny interaction that couldn't have been scripted better, I think, of somebody, you know, kind of revealing yourself as the author, all coming together. So that was, that was, that was funny and interesting and certainly memorable. That's brilliant. I think actually secretly every single author dreams of that moment. <laughs> okay. So you can manufacture it in a certain way. Let me add to the rest of the story. So I was there at Costco to get books for my friends here in Maui. So I load up my cart with like 20 books or 30 books or something, a lot. And I'm walking toward the checkout and a person goes, whoa, that must be a good book. And I was like, well, you know, how do you say like, I'm the author and I get to the checkout stand, same thing. And then somebody standing in line. So I was they ask and I tell them, yeah, this is my book. It just came out. So they run back and get their own copy and I sign it right there. And the checkout people were all like excited and we take pictures. <laughs> so it was kind of this, yeah, it is kind of the fantasy, isn't it? It is. 
<laughs> so you weren't doing Wayne Dyer's trick all those years ago where he went and bought every single copy of his book up and actually took <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so then, no, you... that was not my trick. No, because oh, I... he's, he's a, was a fellow Maui resident, I believe. Yeah, well. yeah there's a Dear few of Wayne. us hidden away here. But my friends really did appreciate getting a copy from me and I signed it to them and it was fun. It was really what's, great. What's with the publishers not giving you a massive load of books? To oh, but they out? did, but, but oh. they're in California. They're in California. Oh. That makes so, sense. That makes yeah. sense. And I also so gave a bunch away to neighbors in California. Perfect. I think it's one of the best things. It's like growing your own veg, isn't it? It's like, you know, there's nothing better. <laughs> there's nothing better than going next door and giving them some, some of your surplus. Do you know, and, and so I have a, a crew out here that I surf with every morning. And while writing the book, I did not talk about the book or my work. We're out there surfing and mostly you're there for the waves. And I acknowledged them in, in the book and the acknowledgement. So they didn't know that. And so once the book's out, so this is part of what I did with the Costco books is I then circled their names and the oh. acknowledgements. And I told them out on the way, it's like, Hey, I wrote a book and you're in it. I acknowledge you. And that was a blast because, oh. you know, I'm out on the waves every morning just to like connect with nature and be active and not to talk shop necessarily. If people ask, I explain a little bit, but so to do the reveal out there and then put the book on their car, hand them to the, yeah, they're, you know, showering off of the hose. That was a blast too. That's superb. That's such a brilliant idea. I love it. I love it. And let's, let's talk about the book because the book Tiny Habits, it's a very different approach. I've read a lot of books on habits. I've practiced. I'm a habit ninja. That's what you call people <laughs> in the book. I, I've been doing this all my life with a lot of my own kind of private and, and, and workout and many different areas. And I'm a convert when it comes yeah. to the whole idea of habits, but I loved how your book has taken a very, very different approach to what I would say would be the, the standard message that we keep getting time and time again. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about the actual fog method. Yeah. Uh, obviously it, it breaks, you break it down brilliantly. And that, what I must say is the book is very easy to read for something that is obviously sounds simple, but actually the underlying effect is incredibly complicated in terms of the benefit it brings. So tell us a bit about the fog method. How did that come? Thank you. Yeah. What I share in my book is very different than the traditional approach. And it's a little bit hard to get people to understand that. Like, oh, I've read a book on habits. So yours is more of the same. It's like, no, no, this is an entirely, it's all based on my research and it's new and it's different. And some of it goes against the traditional advice of how to change your behavior because that doesn't work very well. Let's see, I'll, I'll do a quick summary. Uh, in the tiny habits method, you take any new habit you want and you shrink it down so it's super, super small, almost as small as you can go. So if you want to read more, rather than saying, I'm going to read a chapter a day, you make it super tiny. Maybe you read a paragraph. Maybe you go even smaller, just a sentence. There was a summer where all I did was open a book. That was the habit, just open the book to my next slide. So you make it that small. And then after that, you say, okay, where does this fit naturally in my life? So you look for where in your routine will this new habit just slide in naturally. So flossing fits naturally after you brush. With my reading habit, it fit naturally after I sat down on my patio in California. Our home overlooks a river. So after I sit down, I will open the book. And then the third thing, the third hack is you cause the habit to form by firing off a positive emotion deliberately. So you're self-reinforcing through a technique that I call celebration. 
And that's anything you do that causes a positive emotion on demand. So you can do a fist pump and go, way to go, Beej. Or you can raise your arms. With my <laughs> reading, let me keep going with the reading one. I'd made a bookmark with a cute little smiley face on it. So when I opened up the book, I would see the bookmark with the smiley face and I would feel like happy and successful. And the reason for that is because emotions create habits. It's not repetition, it's emotion. So if you're good at firing off a positive emotion as you're doing the new behavior, then you're wiring the habit into your brain. So that's a quick summary of the tiny habits method. Of course, there's a lot more because there's 300 pages in the book, but that's the uh, two and a half minute version. Brilliant. That's the Twitter version. <laughs> Extended Twitter version. But the thing is, the fact that you can summarize it in that way shows really the simplicity of what you're teaching, which is about simplifying habits in order to make them something that will stick. You talk about in the book about growing roots, and I love that analogy. Talk a bit about that idea of the, the tree and the roots with habits. Yeah. So, you know, one great way to think about habits are like plants and your collection of habits, like a garden of different plants, shrubs and flowers. And I'm here in Maui and I'm looking out, I'm seeing palm trees and grass and flowers and bushes. And the roots are how firmly the habit is planted into your life or into your brain. And what's on top is the manifestation. So are you walking, you know, are you flossing one tooth? Are you flossing all your teeth? And in tiny habits, what you do first is you care about the roots. You want to get the habit firmly rooted and listeners who know a lot about gardening know that that's what matters in gardening. It doesn't matter if you have this super tall sunflower, if the roots are really shallow, guess what? It's going to get upended. And so in tiny habits, you re you don't care about how big the habit is. In fact, keeping it tiny makes it easier to then root it in, get the roots really solid, wire the habit into your routine, and then you can grow it to be bigger if that's what you want. And so it turns out that plants are a really, really good analogy for how habits work in our life and how we design them or we don't design them and weeds grow. And there's, there, you know, Mark, and this is part of in the book, I wanted to extend that analogy quite a lot, but my editors were like, no, 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 too much, too much. Don't overdo it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't overdo it. But it, it, it is a very helpful analogy. There's enough it. of it in the book to help people get it. Yeah, no, it really stuck with me. And as an avid gardener, I totally got it as well. It, it really made sense. And the thing that was the kind of breakthrough moment for me was this idea that it's not about how much you achieve doing the habit initially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's more about just showing up yeah. and doing that one action. And that's the thing that makes the roots strong. You don't get extra roots growing if you do you know, an hour or worse, you know, if yeah. you try and do a whole day of it. And that was the bit that really landed for me. Now, yeah, obviously with, right with our audience being writers, we've seen some really interesting things happening. Hmm. You know, you know about the, the 200 word a day challenge, yeah. the BXP 2020. And we specifically set up that experiment to make it so easy for people. Like literally yeah. 15 minutes a day is what it takes. Yeah. And the reason being that 200 words is a page a day on average. And if you do it every day for a year, you you end up at the end of the year with a book, 73,000 mm -hmm. words. And it's simplicity, I think, is what makes it work. But here's the interesting thing. Having run the experiment, we're noticing that some people that signed up are still not able to do the 200 words. And mm. it's starting to make me think, having just read your book as well, it's not that people don't know how to write. The problem is sitting in the chair or getting their 
arse in the chair, as one of our um, Irish authors told us. So taking that idea with tiny habits, what do you think is going on there? Well, you mean the people that aren't doing the 200 words or the the many people who are? I mean, no, they, I'm more interested in people who are not doing it because I think that's that's where the big problem, I think, lies. Well, it might be for some people that 200 is still too big. It does take, um, you know, in the tiny habits method, you scale it back so small that even on days that you're busy or sick or just not in the mood, you can still do it because it's about consistency. You know, and so even eight years now that I've been flossing all my teeth twice a day, you know, so my dentists and hygienists love me. But on days when I'm super like in a rush or just maybe it's really late at night, I just floss one tooth and I am done and I am successful. So in tiny habits, yes, you start small. The habit will naturally grow just like plants. But on days when you're just not up to it, you just do the tiniest version of it and it's still a success. So by keeping expectations low, setting the bar low and not raising the bar on yourself, you set yourself up for success every day, being consistent. And so it might be just opening your word processor. It might be 20 words or it might just be, you know, write you know, two words. Now I have some, uh, some specific tricks that I've used or habits I've used in writing, but that's what, how I would look at people that aren't doing the 200 words a day, maybe it still feels too big. And so I will officially, Mark, you can correct me. I will officially give those people permission. All you have to do is write two words. They don't have to make sense. Write the two words, say good for me, close it up. And the next day, get back to it. You know, one day they might write two words and those words could be the end <laughs> right well done so that's 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 the thing you, I'd, I'd love to have that day where it's just that those are the only two words you're right and actually funny enough a lot of our listeners they will post us that's the image they send us they send ah. us their word processor with i've done it and they just send us a picture that says the end it's the i end. hope you have a wall right there that i'm not seeing in the video that i'm looking at where you put those up as like you know those are successes like a Absolutely. trophy case of people sending you that those two words it's 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 utterly brilliant it feels like it must be similar to you when you see one of your students like for example mike krieger yeah <laughs> right i mean we haven't mentioned this yet but one of your students mike tell us tell, tell us about his journey because obviously he yeah. did your course and they wanted to do something quite special didn't they? yeah spoiler alert so mike krieger is the co-founder of instagram and in 2007, he was a student in my Stanford class. And this was before iPhone and before apps. And in my teaching, I do a lot of projects and exploration. And the exploration of that, hey, these things we call phones will one day be able to take pictures and share them. That's not yet, but it will be. And come up with a positive use for this technology. So Mike, so I've all students worked in teams of three and Mike and his teammates came up with a concept called send the sunshine, fast forward, Instagram. And it wasn't a direct line. You know, after he graduated, he did another startup that wasn't working. And then he pivoted and went to the photo sharing idea. And the key there, and then this is the, the connection, is simplicity. The reason I'm, I've long been a huge advocate of simplicity, I preach it in my classes, I point out the thing that works for people, whether it's a technology or anything you want 
others to do is simplicity, make it really, really easy. Then when it came in 2009 and 10, when I was focusing on habits, it was still like, if I make it so simple to put on sunscreen, just one drop, if I make it so simple to floss, just one tooth, if I make it so simple to do push-ups, just two, simplicity changes the behavior. So there's definitely a parallel between uh, what in the early days led Instagram to succeed and how people succeed with behavior change and what's in tiny habits. Which is brilliant. And you drew that conclusion in the book where you talked about how Google, Amazon, all of these companies mm. now that are these incredibly massive, massive companies and, and world-changing companies all started with a simple idea, Twitter being another. And, and almost in, in some cases, I haven't added this up and done the math or the calculations, but in many cases anyway, it was so simple that the experts thought it was stupid. The experts criticized Twitter. They criticized Google's little search box. They thought Instagram lacked features. And so same thing with habits, you know, people are like, oh no, I have to have big changes. So I have to have big habits. And it's like, no, that's how you get big as you start tiny. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things, again, you talked about, and this is, this is probably the biggie for all of our listeners. The biggest reason why the 80% of people who want to write a book, if you do this, if you do the research, there's 80% of people, you know, if you ask 10 friends, eight of them will say they want to write a book. The aspiration there is to write. But actually, the number of people that actually start the book is tiny. And even as a percentage of that, the number of people that finish a book is minuscule, even yeah. though, even yeah. though there's 1.6 million books released each year on Amazon. That's a minuscule amount of books published compared to the number of people who actually want to write a book. And one of the reasons why I believe is because the book is, it feels like a mammoth. It feels like that, that enormous, enormous quest. Now you talk about aspirations and not goals in the book. How would you apply that to the idea of writing a book as an aspiration rather than a goal? Yeah. So yeah, aspiration and goal can mean the same thing. Goal though is an ambiguous word. So I say, let's not use it. Let's use aspiration. And so the aspiration to, you know, have a book, but the aspiration could also be shifted of, I want to help people have happier lives, or I want to help people change their, you know, eco behavior so we can save the planet or whatever. And then those are actually different aspirations. So in my book, in behavior design, the first step is to clarify your aspiration. Is it really about a book that's printed or is it about impact in the world or is it something else or it could be a combination but you know take a little bit of time and get clear on what is it that you really want because if you can align if you can get clear on your aspiration then everything gets easier because if you're trying to get yourself to do something you don't really want then that's hard that's that's a losing path yeah, absolutely. And and they almost people are defeated before they even start. So really one of the things that people need to ask themselves when they're thinking about writing a book is they need to ask themselves, what's the reason behind the reason? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I don't have a super, other people have methods for really getting clear on that, but even just two to three minutes have gone, okay, what is it that I really want? What's the aspiration you may see, and I don't want to discourage people from writing books, but you may, if it's really about, I want to have positive impact on planet Earth, there may be other ways of doing that better than a book, or at least more in the near term. I did 
so many talks, so many industry talks, so many, you know, my Twitter account is only about behavior change. It's not about the Super Bowl or pizza or anything. <laughs> Just so much yeah, hey. sharing. I know. <laughs> well, no dinner win? shots. No, no, no. no. I, I, BJ, come on. We want to see what you have for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> this is one tip I would encourage people to do. If you have a general area that you think could be a book, then have a, a Twitter account that's only for that area or modify your current and just make it really pure for just that. And people that are interested will find you as you start putting value into the world. And those are the early readers of your book. Those are the champions. So you're actually laying, you're doing two things. One, you're getting good at expressing or conveying the ideas in, you know, in just a handful of characters. And then two, you're seeing how people respond to it. And then three, you're building an audience or even champions. And all that can happen if just through Twitter and doing a tweet is no big deal and you're not on any schedule. You can tweet a lot or just tweet a little bit. So I do think it's a good way to get moving forward that doesn't feel overwhelming. And again, another idea of just simplifying the process by not trying to be all things to all people and be on three different social networks and and all the things that we see that are kind of i think complicating our world and it's so lovely to hear this message of simplicity but for habits now one of the other things that i find fascinating is you look at people in the world who are change makers you've got people mm-hmm. like you've got the musks of this world and mm-hmm. you know sending rockets up to mars potentially and, and founding paypal and tesla and like you've got the bransons of this world who you know are running thousands of companies it seems because i look at people that manage to accomplish so much in their day and so much in their life, which is what I'm interested in, that kind of idea of what we're here for and what we can contribute to the world. But every single one of those people have got the same number of hours in the day. Have you drawn any conclusions around how much of those people's output and incredible service to the world is based on their habits and how they run their day? Oh, I've seen figures and I think those are just Nobody. I mean, you can, it's very hard to even define habit clearly. So any numbers around that are not going to be accurate. But yes, certainly our habits lead to the outcomes. And the other piece of the puzzle, yes, it's habits, but it's also prioritizing. And it's one of my most important habits is I have this way of prioritizing So what people see on the surface are things usually that I'm succeeding at, that I've prioritized. What they're not seeing are all those things that didn't make the cut. And sometimes, often, that's really painful. It's like, I can't do that. I'm not going to be able to do that. Or So, you know, prioritizing really hard, making that just part of how you live your life, and then having these habits where you are being productive in things that matter most. Yeah. And it's linking, making that link and knowing what those, that foundation is that you have for, for showing up each day and what you actually want to achieve in life. I think that's really important to remember. Absolutely fascinating. So the biggest excuse slash reason we hear that people don't write is because they always say they don't have enough time. Yeah. yeah I'm sure you've heard that a million times 
not just in the writing book world, but in every every walk of life. What do you normally say to people who say that to the? With I don't have time to analyze my habits. I don't have time to create new habits. Or hmm. I don't have. A, I, I, there's probably some really great comebacks to this, but I think. I think people have to look at their own lives with compassion. And I look at other people with compassion. Everybody's doing the best they can. The thing that I would call out, and I call this out early in my book, Tiny Habits, is what you've been led to believe is often not accurate. The way you create habits is the the traditional way is not the best way. It sets you up for failure. And so maybe you're thinking about what it means to write every day reevaluate that. What does that mean? And I love the 200 word a day challenge. You know, you're kind of, you're being disruptive here with this. And I like that. And so just there's, there's some assumptions we have built in around what it means to be a writer and writing every day and so on. And from my perspective, it's just scale it, make it really easy to do. Like make sure you have things set up. So it's just, you don't have to put in any effort to get started and then just Lower the bar, lower the bar. And this goes for nutrition and exercise and stress reduction and relationships, all sorts of habits, including writing. Make the bar so low that you can just get over it with almost no motivation. And then when you want to do more, do more. When you want to do more than 200 words, great, knock it out of the park. But be consistent with that tiny version of the habit. And you will naturally find yourself doing more and more just like a plant naturally grows. But then there's going to be times you can't and that's fine. And don't get down on yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Uh, Have compassion. And so I guess the summary is question the, the assumptions you have in your mind, what it means to write every day or be a writer and scale things back. So it's super tiny and you can succeed every day, even in tiny ways and have compassion. Nobody's perfect in this. That's brilliant. And it's, and, and it's about getting those streaks rather than being perfect and being able to do something every single day. Yeah. And it, it, there's really a sense of momentum. And I found this very much even before Tiny Habits in the mid 90s when I was writing my dissertation. And most people, most doctoral students talk about the dissertation as just being this terrible experience. I had the insight somehow that is just momentum, just do something every day, even if it ends up being something that I have to just erase. Because what I found was if I took a couple days off or three days off, the dissertation got cold and it was very hard to like figure out where am I? What do I need to do next? So it was just just this moment. And I really thought of it this momentum in a physics sense of the word, just keep it going, even if it's just in you know, just so small, just keep it moving forward. And with that mentality, well, I I remember times I'd come home late from a party. It was 1230. I was exhausted. I hadn't written anything on my dissertation. I'd fire up my little Mac there in my studio apartment and I would write something, even though I was exhausted, like a sentence or two, call it good, go to bed, wake up the next day and go, what was I thinking? But, you know, it was somehow I had the insight of, Just keep it going. Just keep the momentum going. Even if your contribution tonight is terrible, you're keeping it going. And that matters. You showed up, right? There was actually an interview we did with a best-selling author, Ben Aronovich, who said that when he doesn't write every day or doesn't try to write every day, he'd come back to a book, you know, maybe two or three weeks later, and he said, and all the characters would have got bored and bugged off. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) 
I love that. So, Isn't that great? Yeah, and it's the same when you read books. If you, I find if I don't get into yeah. it, I read your book almost in one sitting. But most books, they'll sit on my bedside and I'll, I'll be dipping into them. And you always have to kind of re- rewind a few pages to try and remember what on earth was going on or what the last, the last link was to just try and get your brain in gear. And I think that's a kind of counter to what you just explained, which is why the momentum is so important, especially within writing. And, and, and let me share another tip that is certainly a tiny habits kind of tip. And I don't know if somebody's shared this before, but I feel like, you know, I sort of figured it out on my own. I'm sure other people have figured it out. What I do when I'm writing a big project is when I get to the end of the writing session, like I have to wrap up, I leave pieces undone. Things that are easily like concluded or say, check the headings or write the final few sentences here, which I could easily do. I don't do. And instead I make a list of do this, do this, do this. So in other words, what I'm creating for myself, and and this doesn't take much, is I'm creating for myself an on-ramp that doesn't go up, but goes down. So the next day when I get back into the writing session, I just look at my undone tasks, which are really easy. And then I go down the on-ramp and I'm on my way. So you purposely design in the session before that you have something low-hanging fruit. So you just zoom down the on-ramp and then you're on your way. Love it. And there's your momentum right, right there. It's a great, great idea. This has been absolutely fascinating, BJ. And I would love to dissect a bit further about using tiny habits in the process of actually writing a book because you've been through that process yourself and there's many different ways to write a book. But I'm fascinated in what the kind of leading behavioral design scientist out there did to write his book and how that can help other people reach their aspiration of writing the book. So I'd like to wish you all the best with this incredible book that you put out there i recommend everyone to rush out and get a copy uh, tiny habits i believe it's available in costco is that right bj Cos- as well as costco's all- and airports and independent <laughs> bookstores near you absolutely oh yeah and, and online it- and if you want to find out more about bj's work you're interested maybe in in the the tiny habits uh, five-day uh, course that you can take for free Pop over to BJ's website, it's bjfog.com. And BJ's also very active on Twitter at bjfog, and that's F-O-double-G. So thank you so much for your time, BJ. I appreciate absolutely everything and in the middle of this big book tour and uh, your world is is no doubt very busy. So we really appreciate you giving up some of your time today and I look forward to, to chatting with you further. Thank you, Mark. Oh, you fanboy. You fanboyed hard there, didn't you, Mr. D? It's one of the great things about doing a podcast is that you, because we've been doing this for four years, you can, you actually get the opportunity to interview yeah. people you really like are fascinated yeah. with. And we've got another interview coming up in a couple of weeks, like similar to that. You, you can't really get from that interview just how much he's contributed to the world of, of, of behavioral science. Like, he won't tell you this, but he's actually regarded as the world's leading behavioral scientist, which in, in our world today, where, where we all run on behavior, it's, it's quite incredible. But yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting chat. What did you, what did you pick up? I, I thought it was really fascinating. And, and the thing I, I picked up on, uh, importantly, was, was this thing where people say, look, I just don't have time. And I know we've heard that from our listeners. And we've, we've kind of you know, uh, there's a line in one of the Muppet albums where Miss Piggy says, make time, you know, so we've said that to me, I'll make the time, find the time, find 20 minutes in a day. But he, he said, importantly, answer with compassion, you know, lower the bar, 
do what you want to do. And this thing about do just two words, I uh, you know, I did an eye roll when I heard that. I thought, oh, really? Just two words? What, what possible good could that possibly do? And then when I thought about it, I thought, actually, you know what? I have actually bloody done that. I have done have that. You? I've had days. Yeah, yeah. I've had days where I've come down. I thought I'm not feeling it today. I can't do it. But I have written something, not two words, but I have written a paragraph right. and thought, sod it. That's it. I've done it. I'm now going to go and do something else. And you do have the satisfaction of knowing that you've done something, which comes to that point that he was talking about momentum, which is so important. If you, he said, you know, if you take the time off, the story goes cold and you lose momentum. That is so true. That is so true. So I try not to take a break. You know, you're talking at the beginning of the show about how I've got so much on at the moment and I am kind of blocking out my day hours at a time. So I do an hour of this, an hour of that, an hour of that, because I could easily spend two or three days just doing one thing and concentrating on that and nothing else. But I know that if I did that and then come back to those other projects, they've lost all their momentum. So yeah. if I do a little of them every day, if I block out an hour every day for each of these things, I keep the plate spinning on all of them, you know? It's, so it's, 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 it's absolutely right. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because it, it, in some ways, many of our lives have now become this multifaceted life where we're no longer necessarily just, you know, doing one job with one company. I mean, even people now, everyone who's working from home during COVID, they, they're starting to realise like just how incredibly challenging it is to balance everything because now the kids are at home or you know you're nearby your, your neighbors your parents who pop in for a cuppa at three o'clock in the afternoon when you've got a project due and so the, the reason why i love what bj's talking about is like you say it's so for me it felt like when i first came across this research i thought this feels so unnatural to lower the bar like for me i'm always talking about shoot for the moon <laughs> you know don't don't set your goals small set them big but what I understand is this idea of creating a habit. You have to take, you know, write those two words. Everything about this, Mark, every single writing session that anyone ever does always starts with those two words. You know, it, it's so it's, it's always about getting in and starting the process. The actual challenge for most people is starting something. It's actually just, it's, it's not that they don't want to do what they can't do. It's just, they just haven't started it. So it's about starting your writing and then be open to see whether it becomes a sentence, a paragraph, 200 words, a chapter, or 10,000 words if you really get stuck into it. It is interesting, isn't it? I think as well, it's, it's kind of fascinating when you look at the, um, the science behind it as well, because he, um, he's used this in his own life a lot, but he's taught, I think he says something like 40,000, 50,000 students and I actually went through his course and that is great because if you, if you don't, ma you, you set goals to begin with for the week. And if you don't achieve them, the coach basically says, make it simpler, like keep breaking it down, keep breaking it down. And, and that's really where the magic happens. That's, that's, that's actually very good writing advice as well. You know, if you're trying to carry the whole story around in your head, I mean, this is what's been coming out of the one-on-one -on -one conversations. A, a lot of people are trying to carry the weight of 80,000 words on their shoulder yes. when actually my advice to a lot of them is you know put that to one side just take out this one element interrogate that one element uh see if it works see where the weak points are that kind of thing and they're finding that really helpful and useful because that's one of the things I do you 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 can't you know 
juggle all of that uh, it's you you sometimes need to take it apart look at the components and put it back together again and it's uh you know reducing it down to its its, its simplest moments yeah well, you're absolutely right i think the reason why most people never start a book is the weight of that whole idea of the word book sounds so huge that that's the reason I think 95% of people never even start those first two words of chapter one. But actually, when you think about it, we don't actually write books. We write words and we write, and those words become a book. We don't write the book itself. And I think if we can break away from that idea that we, we, we've got this mammoth kind of impossible task, lifelong project, as some people look at it, um, it, it almost breaks the shackles, doesn't it? Yeah, I was, again, This is I, I'm not just plugging the academy. I was talking to someone about this less than two hours ago. We, we were talking about carrying the weight of, of a whole story. And I, I made the point. I said, look, we're all natural storytellers. It's something humanity has done since the dawn of time. We, we, we would sit around the fire and talk about the hunt or whatever happened to us today. And, you know, my parents who left school when, you know, they have no higher education, left school when they were teenagers, the best storytellers I know, because they would come home and say, you'll never guess what happened to me today. And we all have this instinct for storytelling. We can all do it. But very few of us can sit down and knock out 80,000, 90,000 words of story. That takes a particular skill set. But it's a skill set we all have if you just take it one story beat at a time. And that is, you know, you can sit down and outline 50,000 words if, if you want. Or you can take it one page at a time. What happens next? What happens next? What happens next? You know, what's the most interesting thing that can happen next? And if you take it, well, you know, we had, uh, oh, I've forgotten his name now, South African author who said, you know, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Yeah. This is, you know, it's the, the bit of ancient wisdom there uh, with BJ's, you know, uh, up-to-date science. It's, it's, it's a truism. It's absolutely true. Yeah, and we're so driven as well in society. You know, we are driven about this idea of, achieving and achieving big and um but it is it's so so true we've got to start small and i do think that um i wonder how many more books would be written if people were able to grasp that i do think the idea of writing a book is that 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 discipline that we need i mean that's why we've set the academy up it's an it's a place where you can come in and learn that discipline if you struggle to to write and finish the book um but i i do think that that's a that's a learned behavior you're not born as someone who can just write a book. We're born as, like you say, storytellers. We always have stories, but we have to learn born that process. Yeah. yeah, we have to learn that process. And so the, the habit side of things of what BJ's been talking about is really opening that door to the awareness of what, you know, what we have to understand in terms of how we work. This is the thing. We, I always find this really fascinating. As a coach, I get to play with this every single day, but a lot of people spend very little time actually learning about how they work. Like the, 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 the things that the, most people don't even, like they say 80% of what we did yesterday, we did today because of habits. But most of us don't ever stop and actually ask ourselves the question, well, what habits do I have? I did a habit audit recently where I just looked at habits that I do that, I, I, that don't help me, habits I do that do help me, habits I'd like to cement and habits I'd like to try and create in the future. And, and, and you can do this through a habit audit and actually just take the time to stop. Even if it's just one thing, observe yourself as if you're a third person and go, oh, isn't it interesting how I always do that? And actually that's not the best way of doing it. Uh, yeah, you, you should always be willing to relearn the way you do things. It's funny, since we sort of transitioned from summer into autumn here, 
my day, my daily routine has, has I've rejiggled it. I've moved things around, you know, just, just to, just to, you know, help me get through the day. And it make it makes all the difference. Dion Mayer is that South Africa. Yeah. Author, oh, Dion. Apo- apologies to Dion. He was wonderful. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. Absolutely Do check brilliant. that episode out. Fantastic stuff. So Mr. Stay, we've got some good news to share on social media this week. Oh, it's just wonderful news. We, we first of all we had a, a message from Annie O'Neill, who's a part of our BXP team. Uh, who her her book Miracle on Christmas Street got to number one, and we were like, Annie, congratulations! And she said, "Many thanks, Chief. Your podcast is one of the reasons I feel empowered to even try and <laughs> get there." Brilliant. Annie. So that's brilliant. So thank you so much for that, Annie. And congratulations on Miracle on Christmas Street. Uh, here we go. Talking about habits, uh, Jackie Kirkham, who's at Jackie Kirkham on Twitter, uh, she, who's got she's put hashtag girly swat she said according to my spreadsheet i just cracked a hundred thousand words for the year i'm pretty allergic to word counting but even i will permit myself a fist bump thank you bxp 2020 this really works so jackie's been doing the 200 words a day uh thing and she's got a hundred thousand words out of that uh we also had a note from amelia vincent who said over a hundred and five thousand words since i started this novel on the 10th of august and the last two of which were the end now you mentioned you know if you're just going to write two words the end are the best words you can write <laughs> exactly so so the first draft of this novel is done so congratulations to jackie and amelia there absolutely as well, well so, done to both um, of you amazingly inspiring and hey if you're sitting there listening to that and thinking oh, i wish that was me that's what i hope to do at the beginning this is your this is the time to do it plan now 2021 get those words and that word gold set now and get ready Absolutely, absolutely. So, thank you, folks, for listening. Come and get in touch on social media. We're on Facebook, Bestseller Experiment, Twitter, and Instagram at Bestseller XP, or pop over to the website bestsellerexperiment.com. There is a contact tab there. Drop us a line. We read all the emails. We reply to them, uh, and we'll uh, we'll you know ask us questions all sorts of stuff and and come and check out the academy as well also thanks to uh dave and jd now jd recently has been poorly with kidney stones i've had a few kidney stones myself in the past oh boy oh boy they are no fun whatsoever but i'm glad to report jd is on the road to recovery so uh, get well soon jd uh if you've enjoyed this podcast please subscribe rate and review on your podcatcher of choice all those little stars and comments you give us make all the difference brilliant stuff and if you've got a pen and paper handy i'll quickly run through the most important urls web addresses that you need if you'd like to become a patron of this show pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and join our incredible bxp team and get loads of other goodies if you would like to join the 2020 or 200 word a day challenge you can do that by going to bestsellerexperiment.com and signing up there start with the five day and get ready and warm up for 2021 your biggest year yet and if you are curious and want to find out a little bit more about the bestseller academy join mark and i on wednesday the 2nd of december for an exclusive live webinar where we'll be talking about how to make the next 12 months your best writing year ever and i'll be discussing the five foundations that every best-selling writer needs to register for that now just pop along to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com if you can't make the live date for the webinar you can pop along to the same web address academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and view it on demand for a limited time 
Brilliant. So I hope everyone's had an incredible writing week this last week. I hope you have a wonderful writing week coming up with not too many crazy things going on in December with Christmas looming. And I should also just say this. We should also always say this. We just hope everyone is doing really well during this uh, challenging time, that everyone's safe and staying um, healthy um, and Please do drop us a note as well if you have any success stories. We always love to hear from you and read everything that comes through. Go to the contact form on the website. Thanks so much, Mr. Stay. And I look forward to chatting with you in two weeks when we have another exciting interview to get us ready for 2021. So it's goodbye from Mark Wands. Oh, Mark yeah. Wands. Oh, you did it, didn't you? <laughs> there we go. Oh, my gosh. The universe just thrown me. And it's a goodbye from Mark too. Bye-bye. Goodbye. To read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of the bestseller experiment by the two marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe.